our council to our uh, city council study session for the morning of February the 18th, 2021. Uh, I note that Mr. Thompson is not with us, but Mr. Brady, uh, am, am I correct that Mr. Thompson's not feeling well and, and won't be with us today? That's correct, Mayor. He is uh, currently waiting to get a kidney stone removed, so hopefully he'll be feeling better soon. Okay, well, we speed him up, uh, wish him a speedy recovery, and we'll press on. Um, first item on our agenda for this meeting, Council, is to review and discuss the items on the agenda for the February 22nd a regular City Council meeting, so if you please refer to that document. Um, I know one of the items on the uh, of the agenda is the proposed non-discrimination ordinance, and, and we do have a, a staff presentation on that uh, up next following the review of this agenda. Um, Mr. Brady, is there anything else on, on Monday night's agenda that uh, that you know that, that we ought to get a, a staff briefing on? Mayor, I don't know if we necessarily, we, we could do a, a brief staff briefing, but I just, I wanted the council just to be aware I'm sorry, I'm gonna just make sure I find the right number for you. Um, there is an item, what Beth is it? Eight. eight, sorry, I was looking in the nines, yes. In 8D, where we are, um, this is action that we're asking the council to authorize us to um, move forward with authority to acquire property with eminent domain. Um, I know that's a very sensitive subject or topic and we are very sensitive to using that. But in this case, we just wanna be clear with the council that we actually have agreements with most all of these property owners, or nearly all the property owners, uh, for the purchase of their property. We've agreed to terms on the amounts, um, the necessity for the eminent domain and as understood by all the property owners is just the time it takes. We have to uh, acquire the property and have it in our possession earlier than the, it would take for us to go through a normal acquisition process because of the federal funding we have for these road improvements. So all of the uh, properties have been, all the property owners have been contacted, that we've been working with them for months. Uh, they understand the need for it. Some of these are actually anxious for us to get these roads built so that their developments can move forward. Um, but I just wanna share that with council. Um, we just wanna be very transparent and clear when we're using eminent domain. Uh, for public necessity, but in this case, um, I think we are, we're very comfortable in telling the council that all all the property owners not only are in agreement um, with the the property that's being taken to provide roads to their uh, roads that will access or adjacent to their properties, but in almost all cases, we've already agreed upon the uh, terms that the value of the property that's to be acquired, and so um, this is really more of a process. Um, a necessity in order to, for us to expedite the acquisition of the property. Thank you. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Council, uh, any questions regarding items on the agenda? Mr. Luna. No, Mayor, I'm comfortable moving forward with the eminent domain as uh, requested by the city of Mason. Okay, thank you. And uh, Mr. Brady, this is a property out in, in Southeast uh, Mesa adjacent to the uh, proposed 24 freeway extension, is that correct? Yeah, the 24 Signal Butte, uh, Williamsville, out in that area. So yes, it's it's all part of that, um, the development out there. And just also remind the council, uh, significant for Monday will be the opportunity for council to appoint um, a new city auditor um, and also adopt that uh, employment contract. And then as council will recall, 
based on last week's um, interviews and decisions, direction that you gave the city staff, you'll also be appointing uh, two city magistrates, Stephanie Olihan and Stephen Umpleby as city magistrates. So that will also happen on Monday. So we're, we're swearing them in at the beginning of the meeting. And then once they're, they're hooked, we're, uh, we're approving their contracts later on in the meeting, right? So Well, uh, the, the contract we'll be approving will be for the city auditor, yes. Oh, okay. Right, the city auditor, city clerk, city attorney, city manager are all uh, on there. But uh, we'll go ahead and, sw and swear in, we'll appoint Mr. Listano, and then we'll swear in the two magistrates. That's okay. correct, Mayor. Great. Council, yes, uh, Vice Mayor Duff. I just had uh, a question on items 7C through F. Usually it has a 20% contingency, and this is on um, landscape maintenance, for city properties, uh, city facilities. The contingency is 20%. Usually I see like a 5% contingencies on contracts. Is this higher to cover possible repairs of systems? Or I just want to understand that a little bit more. Mayor, Council Member Duff, I'm Andrea Moore with Parks, Rec, and Community Facilities, and we do do 20% on our service contracts that allow us to put extra work if we have additional cleanups or irrigation repairs, uh, leaks, anything like that, re-landscaping that we need to include in that contract. So that's why it's typical for all of our service contracts to go to 20%. To, uh, but uh, Vice Mayor Duff, you are correct on uh, construction contracts, that would be a much smaller contingency as you were pointing out. Okay, I just wanted to be, become more familiar with that. So thank you. I just wonder on the, on the landscaping contracts, does that play a role when we have uh, storm damage or, or extraordinary things that happen that re might require uh, landscaping services beyond the norm or is that a, a separate, separately accounted for? Mayor, that's correct. Uh, storm cleanup, any kind of re-landscaping or anything unusual that happens, any irrigation repairs, anything like that goes under that extra work. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Freeman. Thank you, Mayor. Question about 7B, replacement of fire apparatus. Uh, I know that's our ongoing uh, protocol for their city. Just maybe an update on that. Uh, what are we replacing and for what purposes? Mayor, Council Member Freeman, thank you for the question. So we are replacing old apparatus. The apparatus that we're replacing, they all have over 200,000 miles on it. And so those apparatus will go into the reserve status, and that's what we're replacing with the four new ones. $3.2 million. I just want to recognize that we're always updating our fleet so that we can provide our public service and accountability to the residents that we serve and also the automatic aid that we uh, perform for our community and uh, neighboring communities. So thank you, Chief. You're welcome. Thank you. Council, other questions regarding Monday's agenda? All right. Thank you. Seeing none. Uh, the next item on our agenda for this meeting is item 2A, that's to hear a presentation, discuss and provide direction on a proposed non-discrimination ordinance. Uh, I want to thank uh, uh, Andre Alicote and uh, Jim Smith and uh, 
Jacqueline uh, Garnier and others who have worked so hard on this. I'm uh, anxiously looking forward to this presentation, but I know prior to this, a lot of work has gone into uh, working on this ordinance and uh, just want to express uh, my thanks for those who have been uh, working on this issue, not just for months, but actually for years in, in the community. So having said that, uh, I'm not sure who's there to make the presentation, but please proceed. <laughs> but Andrea. Good morning, Mayor. This is Andrea Alicote, Mayor and Council. We, we appreciate being here this morning. Uh, I'm Andrea Alicote. I'm the Diversity Administrator. And with me this morning is Jackie Gagne, one of our Senior Assistant City Attorneys. And of course, our City Attorney, Jim Smith, will also be helping us with this conversation. So we are here to discuss some of the highlights of the proposed non-discrimination ordinance that is introduced for conversation on your Monday, the 22nd agenda. The purpose and the intent of the non-discrimination ordinance for Mesa is to ensure that our Mesa's diverse population have equality and equal access to goods and services within our community, as well as equal treatment in employment and when obtaining housing. It will apply to our businesses and places of public accommodation, employers and their workplaces, our city employees, facilities, and contract and vendors. As common with many non-discrimination ordinances across the nation, but more particularly um, comparable to those within our own state, that would be Phoenix, Tucson, Flagstaff, Tempe, Sedona, and Winslow, we do have uh, exclusions listed within our uh, proposed draft. And those include federal government or state agencies and political subdivisions, religious, public, or charter schools, religious corporations and organizations, public accommodations that are beneficial to our communities, such as uh, senior citizen living areas or military discounts, and then speech and expressive activities and the free exercise of religion as protected under the First Amendment. Mayor and Council, if I, if I may just interrupt briefly. First of all, good morning, Mayor and Council. Good to be with you this morning on this topic. And uh, as Andrea pointed out, that, that this is this ordinance, both in its application and in its exclusions, we, we looked at other cities, including Flagstaff and Tucson um, and in Tempe, that have had their ordinances um, around seven years, so almost almost ten years now. And and the draft that we sent with you, just so you know, we, we're going to update it just slightly on the. On, on the First Amendment um, language on as far as expressive activities, because we found a, uh, just we want to have greater consistency between um, both expressive activities and uh, speech and free exercise of religion. I will say one way in which our ordinance is, is slightly different than others is, is that we've articulated those First Amendment rights even more robustly than our uh, neighboring cities. And so we've uh, fully articulated that we recognize those First Amendment rights within this, within this ordinance. Um, you, you'll see just some slight modifications from the draft that you received um, this last week um, when we repost the ordinance uh, later today, and that will be obviously discussed at the council meeting on Monday. So then for the implementation, it's going to be administered through the city manager and his designees, which would include myself and with the city attorney's office. There is no additional funding or staffing that will be required as it will be incorporated in our existing workload. And complaints can be filed within 90 days of violations. 
We do wanna again point out um, other, those other cities that I had mentioned previously with similar ordinances have reported a very low volume of complaints. And from that low volume of complaints, they have been able to resolve a lot of those through referrals, through uh, education opportunities, or through mediation, which is something that we paid close attention to when we were drafting our resolution process. So the, the resolution process is specifically allowing us to be able to address complaints through informal means, such as warnings or notices. And we were more explicit that within the first violation, we are required to seek resolution through mediation or alternative means. And then for second or subsequent violations, we will still be able to use those tools at our disposal to seek resolution uh, again, through alternative means or through mediation by providing educational opportunities, assisting both uh, parties with involved in the complaint before moving on to any citation. Should we need to move into a citation process that would be handled through our civil hearing officer and would follow all of our standard civil uh, penalties and actions as listed on the screen. If passed, the ordinance, uh, if the ordinance passes, excuse me, we will allow 120 days until it is effective. So that way we can really engage our public in providing the education needed to our business community, to our employers, and to make the public feel comfortable in regards to what the legal lang language states in a more friendly and user uh, friendly fashion. So we will be engaging our community and the business with uh, online forms, web pages, we will have informational videos and fact sheets, and we'll of course partner with agencies that have already committed to assisting us in this work to be able to distribute it within their uh, populations and, and built-in organizations. So with that, we are happy to entertain any questions or feedback that you have for us as we prepare for that final draft that will be on your agenda Monday. Thank you, Andrea. Uh, council, uh, any initial questions on this topic? Yes, Mr. Freeman. Thanks, Mayor. I'll just jump right into it. Might as well, right? It's a good morning. I, I didn't hear about all the other, um, uh, if you're an employer, how many employees uh, would be exempt uh, if you were an employer uh, and also you talked about other communities. I have several questions, so I'll, I'll if you don't uh, get them all the first time, I can repeat them. But you said other cities have had some uh, complaints and you said very low, what's very low? And uh, have any of these complaints gone to court or any type of mediation? Thank I'll you. stop there. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor and Councilmember Freeman. We appreciate those questions. Um, to address your first um, statement, within our ordinance currently, it would apply to uh, an employer that has one or more employees, so essentially all businesses within our community or employers within our community. Uh, in regards to the other Arizona cities more specifically, the very low uh, volume of complaints um, they have reported that in terms of just simple inquiries, uh, an average number was less than 15 inquiries. Of those being co actual filed complaints, 
uh, an average was two uh, within the past several years within all of our, again, Arizona communities. Um, and within the past several years, none of those have gone through the citation process. They were all able to be uh, addressed either through community education or an informal mediation process. Okay, very good. Is it typical for the city manager to receive these complaints? I know our city manager has a lot on his plate, but does that the typical uh, pass through for a complaint process and then the diversity outreach office? Yes, thank you, Mayor and Councilmember Freeman. It is typical within the non-discrimination ordinance to address the uh, process to be through the city manager and he being able to designate a designee. So um, there's a variety of designees when looking at that process nationwide, but for the state of Arizona, it is typically either someone uh, within a diversity administrative role or within uh, the city manager's office directly, of which I am both. Okay, thank you. The other thing is, I, I know I've had some of my small business uh, constituents reach out and they would like it uh, talked about the one employee or could there be a higher employee number for exemption for small businesses? And, and currently I would support, and I'll just put it out there, support a higher employee number for small businesses instead of one. So with that, I mean, I can throw a number out. Uh, I know Flagstaff, I believe, Andreas, is at 15 or 14? Thank you, Mayor and Councilmember Freeman, correct. Within the state of Arizona, Flagstaff is the only um, city that has it designated at 15. All other cities within Arizona have it at one or more. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'd, I'd be supportive of a higher number. So I'll listen to my colleagues and I'll, uh, I'll, right now, that's all the questions I have. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Freeman. Uh, council, other questions? Uh, council member Spilsbury. Um, I think, is it California has five or more employees and Utah has 15 in their NDOs, is that correct? I'm not sure if that's correct. Yes, thank you, Mayor and Council Member Spielsbury. Uh, California does have it at five or more. However, theirs is a statewide ordinance, which, or statewide uh, act, I believe it is. And that one is actually very proactive in the affirmative action in which they require um, employee training, they require varying notices. So it's much more extensive on what they require the business and employers to do, which had then adjusted that uh, low the threshold for the employee numbers because of the requirements that it mandates onto those employers, uh, which is not something that we are doing with our proposed draft. Um, Salt Lake City did have it at 15 and uh, as is several other cities within the nation. Okay, I mean, the concern I've heard is just that if you maybe had a business out of your home or your garage and you wanted to just um, employ a neighbor or a family member or something that you didn't want to, yeah, have those same restrictions or something if you had a smaller business is what I've heard. Um, I also wanted to just clarify. So this means that businesses can still have male and female designated areas, um, just that they would allow someone who identifies as a different gender, which can already happen. I was under the assumption that can already happen. So does that change anything? 
Thank you, Mayor and Councilmember Spielsbury for that very important question. Yes, that is absolutely correct what you stated. Businesses will still be able to have single sex designated areas such as restrooms, dressing rooms, fitting rooms, et cetera. Um, however, what this ordinance will uh, require or allow is that a person identifying as that particular single sex would be allowed to use that particular facility. Uh if you don't mind, uh, following up on, on Councilmember Spillsbury's question, I'm, I'm not uh, Andrea or, or Jim or, or Jackie. The, the employment, uh, the definition of, of sex as it applies to employment, I know has been uh, the subject of recent U.S. Supreme Court cases. And, and so it seems like some of this is, uh, is already by federal law in the workplace and uh, um, uh, housing, the, the, the federal rules have already expanded to include uh, uh, gender identity and uh, sexual orientation. Is that correct or, or not? Good morning, Mayor and Council. Um, yes, uh, Mayor, that is correct. So there was a Supreme Court case that came out this summer, um, July of 2020, Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia. And in that case, they did hold that um, sex does include gender identity and sexual orientation. That was an employment case for purposes of employment. And there has recently been an executive order that has come down directing um, federal agencies um, and that would certainly implicate housing to recognize gender identity and sexual orientation as protected classes. So would, would it be fair to say that th this ordinance really uh, and given that housing and perhaps uh, if housing and employment are already somewhat covered by, by uh, expansions of federal law, the, uh, the area of, of uh, public accommodation is really where this ordinance might be more impactful. Am I correct in that? Mayor, yes, I believe you're correct in that. This is really um, public accommodations is the, the larger area that this ordinance addresses. And to, to the issue of a, a public accommodations, I know for the last several years, <clears throat> a, a big part of the controversy around these cases is centered around uh, people of faith uh, feeling, uh, uh, worrying about uh, protecting uh, their their freedom of expression and their freedom of religion if, if they'd have closely held beliefs that perhaps would, uh, that they think would prevent them from providing, you know, the classic example, I guess, is wedding cake decorations, things like that. Uh, has that issue, uh, evolved, uh, I believe there's been an Arizona Supreme Court case on, on that topic. Am I correct on that? Mayor, yes, you're correct. That case is Brush and Nib um, that came out, um, I believe, in 2019. And that was the case that addressed um, an art studio that, that their business was uh, making wedding invitations and other types of products for weddings. And in that case, the, the art studio itself, the entire business was not exempted as a blanket exemption from the Phoenix City ordinance as applied. But um, what they looked at in that case was their custom wedding invitations where they were, um, it was determined that their custom invitations were their artwork, their expression, their, they were using their creativity to um, put forth their message and the, the court said that they could not be required to through their art which was determined to be pure speech under the First Amendment to express a message that they did not agree with or that was um, contrary to their sincerely held religious beliefs. And there's a number of examples of other um, creative artistic types of activities that fall with under, 
fall under um, speech under the First Amendment. And we have, um, you know, as Jim mentioned um, earlier, been very specific and robust in making clear that, yes, those um, First Amendment protections are going to be um, respected and followed and honored as they are set forth under federal law. Okay, thank you. Uh, I know that there's there's some important areas where we have exclusions in this ordinance. I, I believe we mentioned schools, uh, churches, uh, same-sex sporting uh, leagues such as you know girls softball leagues. Uh, can what, what other exclusions are built into this ordinance? Perhaps in, in addition to schools and churches and and youth sports leagues. You want to, you want to go back to that slide? Mayor, as we're going back to that slide, I'll give Andre a second as we try to find it. And I'll follow up on what uh, Jackie just said. As you as you look, if, if people have a copy of it, it's 6-14-4. That's where the exclusions are. And you'll see uh, many of these exclusions uh, we have taken from other uh, municipalities uh, that have had their ordinances in effect. But we've also added additional ones. For example, uh, the, the exclusion under number four for religious corporations and associations and uh, for their schools. Um, is nearly identical to several of the cities. But in addition to that, we also, uh, if you look at number six, uh, the exclusion for speech, expressive activities, and free exercise of religion, um, uh, an exclusion that uh, basically mirrors the concept that you, that's in uh, the Brush and Nib case. And so I think we're the only city that has articulated that expressly. And so, um, and, and then of course we also, if you look at uh, exclusion number five for expressive association, the, uh, for, for also First Amendment right. Mayor, I, wanted, oh, sorry. I also wanted to point out one of the exclusions is, um, it's an interesting exclusion, it kind of flips it the other way. So this ordinance does not prohibit a business from asking any, or from removing anyone from their business who would be engaging in, in what the state calls boisterous conduct or disorderly conduct or criminal behavior um, within a facility. So that activity is not protected under this ordinance and certainly could be, you know, any individual misbehaving, um, behaving inappropriately, committing any crimes um, is not protected under this ordinance. So that is an exclusion as well. Thank you. I think that's a point that we need to, to underline here because I think one of the rumors that's used to raise doubts about these types of ordinances are, are kind of scary scenarios where you know, a person with, with, with bad intent, you know, uh, is, is allowed to go into a, a, for example, a woman's restroom and uh, do mischief, you know, either intimidate or, or uh, I mean, is that, is that type of behavior allowable now? And, and would this ordinance have uh, in some way make that okay? It is not allowable now. Of course, anybody that would be going into a, a restroom or a locker room or any place at a public accommodation um, committing, as you say, you know, frankly, criminal behavior, um, any, any, you know, thing nefarious, leering, anything like that, that would not be allowed now, and that is not allowed after if this ordinance is passed. That will still not be allowed. This ordinance is not a free pass to engage in criminal or inappropriate conduct. Thank you. Um, thank you. Those are some of my questions, Council. I, I, uh, Frankie, go ahead. Yeah, just to just to go back to the question on if uh, a business has to spend on anything based on this ordinance, be that if you're a one-person business or a 500-person business, 
is that something that we are saying that you have to you have to spend in order to spend some money in order to um, uh, comply with this ordinance? Thank you, Mayor and Councilmember Herrera. In order for the implementation of this ordinance, it will not require any business to have to spend any money or have to um, do any sort of physical um, adjustments to their place of business, um, other than to comply with, again, the, the intention of this ordinance, which is to provide equal services um, within goods, services, housing, and employment, and of course, to help promote our inclusivity as a community. Thank you. Uh, to, to Mr. Heredia's point, I mean, again, uh, some of the, sometimes people who oppose these ordinances like to characterize them as quote unquote bathroom ordinances. Uh, I don't see the word bathroom mentioned at all in this ordinance uh, is uh, to what extent, I mean, uh, is it still just an underscore what was just said, businesses will continue to be, have male and female bathrooms, is that correct? Or, or is there any any change in the, in the status quo that, that this ordinance would require? Thank you, Mayor, to, yes, very explicitly put, um, Businesses can continue to operate just as they do today. They are, um, we do not have a reference to bathrooms as we do address that within our public accommodations and the ability for places of public accommodation to allow single sex use areas. Um, so that does address restrooms, it can address fitting rooms, um, changing rooms, nursing rooms. We wanna continue to be able to have those things operate within our community just as they're doing today. Um, it would be doing so with allowing a person to I, use those facilities with the gender that they identify. But a business will not be required in any way to have to retrofit um, any physical part of their business or place of accommodation to meet this ordinance. Thank you. Council, other questions? Yes, Mr. Luna. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, you know, I did a cursory research in terms of how many businesses we had on City of Mesa. Uh, data can, uh, uh, derived from MAG. So it looks like we have 13,000 businesses and close to 160,000 employees. Uh, at least 11,000 businesses have less than 15 employees. Uh, I want to, you know, uh, reinforce the, the notion that um, I don't want to go beyond one employee. I think. Uh, what that does essentially is does by by expanding to 15, then you have uh, 15 employees that aren't protected by the NDO. So, so my position that we maintain the current language, uh, you know, Mayor, I've been here. Let's uh, uh, see, I'm going to through my eighth year, and we started this working on this ordinance. I think in 2014, I remember Debbie Spinner we had the conversation about this. It's been a, a long process, and. Um, I'm very comfortable with the current language in terms of our, the amount of employees protected. I would like to go ahead and keep it at one um, based on what we're hearing from Phoenix and Tempe and our neighbor cities. Uh, it's not really an issue. Uh, what it does present itself is a teachable moment to some businesses in our community. Uh, our, our role is not to have a big stick. It's to encourage and to teach them the importance of, of non-discrimination. And that's really what we're trying to achieve here. So I would prefer keeping that at, uh, let's not go beyond the, the one employee. Thank you. Uh, Vice Mayor Duff. 
Yes, um, thank you. And uh, I do agree wholeheartedly uh, with what Council Member Luna said and, and, and uh, agree. Uh, I don't think discrimination at, for one person is okay. Certainly don't, uh, in businesses, it's not okay at any point. And this is a way, like uh, Council Member Luna shared, to um, really look at being inclusive and accepting people as human beings and not labels of what they think they are, who they are, but truly as human beings with human rights, not to be discriminated against. And I wanted to thank the, um, the whole team the legal team at the city of Mesa. I know they've worked at this a long time and it's been a long time coming from our city. I'm so proud that we're coming forward. I've received so many comments positive from businesses for economic development. Businesses that look at coming to our city, look to see if we have a non-discrimination ordinance. It is a value of theirs. And also for tourism, tourism is rated that. I noticed I was on Zillow a few months ago and it was rated whether we had non-discrimination um, for buying a home in our city. So this is um, becoming mainstay and something we all need to stand for and uh, recognize people as people and nothing else. So um, I'm in support of this retaining at employment at one person. Um, and um, I think it's a great ordinance and I think it's been successful in other places and I'll be proud that Mesa has passed this um, next week in my hopes that we are going to do this. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor Duff. I, I, I'd like to weigh in a little on the, the, employment, the, the threshold for employment and for enforcement. Uh, I certainly would, would agree that we don't want to turn a blind eye to uh, to discrimination at any level. Uh, on the other hand, I, I am sympathetic to, and, and I have had conversations with business people uh, who describe, you know, rather intimate work situations, you know, where if you're a, a micro business and it's really essentially a family business, it's, it's one or two or three people, you know, that work in close quarters and it's uh, uh, that there ought to be some acknowledgement, you know, that that's uh, something akin to a marriage or, you know, just a very, uh, it, it, it's difficult to, you know, for to, to come in and, and put a lot of, uh, or take away a lot of discretion from, from who you get to work with in those very close quarters situations. Uh, and uh, Andrea, or, and Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is, the, is the federal threshold for like an EEOC complaint or, you know, if, if they're labor uh, disputes, is, is, is that number 15 employees? Yeah, yes. yes, Mayor, it is. Okay. So I, I just wonder if we have a, a threshold that below that number, if, uh, if we might become a, an attractive forum, you know, for, for people to, to, to bring labor disputes, uh, maybe not even, you know, of, of all stripes, uh, and, and characterize them as fitting underneath this ordinance uh, because that's their the only place they can go if they're less than 15 employees. They, they can't pursue it in, in an EEOC setting. Uh, I just, I, my goal for this ordinance would be for it to be, uh, well, and I guess all the other cities around us are at, are at one employee. So that, that kind of argues against the point I'm trying to make here. 
but uh, I don't want to uh, to be the place where people bring their labor disputes uh, because they they can't take it to the you know an another forum. Um, so I, I I would entertain, frankly, uh, raising that number just a little bit to, to just to acknowledge the uh, the unique situation of, of very small businesses and and allow some discretion uh, in in those settings. Um, but I, I can see that there's that. Uh, People that I, whose opinions I respect, don't necessarily agree with me. Uh, Mr. Freeman, I see your hand up. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> I understand my colleagues, uh, Councilmember Luna and Vice Mayor Dove. Uh, you know, I, I think at some point we have to understand government's role in our business applications, and I, I just think we should have a limited role, and 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 that's why I'm I'm going to support a higher number. I'll just tell you right off the bat. I don't think that we, I think having a higher number is less restrictive to our businesses. And if we have businesses that are not playing right, um, we can always come back, uh, council in the future, tweak it and make it less if, if we're having a problem as a community. And I know you can say, well, well let's just do it at one now. But I, I don't see it that way. I just see that we can, we're kind of across the line here. Is it a moral issue? Is it a government issue? Is it a business issue? And and I just think pragmatically, we can have a higher number, move forward, have a hybrid ordinance. And I, I've talked to council member Thompson and I know he's not here to uh, say it in his own words, but he, he would support a higher number as well. And he used a higher number than we're talking about now, but that's his for him to weigh in. But I just want you to know that, uh, that from our colleague from him, but without understanding some of the legal ramifications. And I just think a higher number is more beneficial for small businesses. And if we have a problem, then uh, maybe education uh, through our diversity office will benefit them as well. So thanks and I'll stop there. Mayor. Thank you. I, oh. I, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm about to tee you up here, okay, Mr. Uh, Mr. Brady. Uh, Mr. Brady, uh, even though Mr. Thompson's not with us because he's not feeling well, he did uh, give Mr. Brady a statement to read. And I, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask him to do that now because it seems like it, it, it might fit into our our uh, discussion. Thank you, Go Mayor. Ahead, Mr. Brady. Thank you, Mayor. So, uh, Mayor uh, Council, uh, uh, Council Member Thompson provided the statement that he asked me to read this morning uh, regarding this item. Uh, his quote, open quote, after reviewing the latest version of the draft language of the non-discrimination ordinance, I felt it was necessary to outline my concerns and my thoughts. As I communicated to staff, and as I still believe today, a non-discrimination ordinance is not necessary, and it's honestly a solution looking for a problem. I strongly believe that Mesa is a welcoming and diverse community. And I am proud that we have all types of people living in our community in harmony. However, I, also, I am also sympathetic to those in the LGBTQ community that feel that there may be discrimination in our community. And I am supportive of doing all we can to eliminate any and all types of discrimination. While I have reservations about the need for the proposed ordinance, I am open to compromise that strikes a balance between the need to protect religious liberties and organizations while prohibiting discrimination in employment and housing. It is our civic duty to find that balance between protecting civil liberties without encroaching upon religious beliefs. Again, I want to reiterate that I do not support discrimination of any kind against anyone. 
Therefore, I have outlined my concerns with the current draft, with the current draft non-discrimination ordinance. The first is to eliminate the employment provisions. The Supreme Court extended Title VII of the Civil Rights Act that includes gay and transgender persons, making this an enforceable offense for the state and not MESA. Therefore, this entire provision is not required. However, if this council moves forward with this provision, then I ask that it mirror the EEOC laws and only apply to businesses with more than 15 employees. The second is to remove any and all prosecutorial responsibilities from the city of Mesa. As a fiscal conservative, I have concerns that the taxpayer dollars will be utilized in the prosecution of businesses for minimal fines. The time and resources expended by the city manager and staff to review, investigate, and potentially prosecute a business will far exceed the proposed amounts to be levied against a business. With that said, I am fully supportive of foregoing an investigation and instead bringing the parties together in an effort to address the issues. However, if this council wants to move this provision forward, then we should make the process fair and also hold any and all false allegations to the same level of prosecutorial responsibility and levy the same fines that would be placed upon the businesses. Finally, Council needs to know who is responsible for notifying and educating every business in the city of Mesa's jurisdiction on this new ordinance. It would be extremely and completely irresponsible of the city to enact legislation without a clear and concise plan to notify and educate our city's businesses. I strongly believe that until a plan is presented and assurances provided that every business has been notified, we cannot and should not implement any ordinance that could impact how they operate their business. Therefore, I ask that we slow the process, assign this to a committee, and allow our citizens, businesses, and the LGBTQ community to help shape legislation that is unique to Mesa. Sincerely, Council Member Thompson. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Mr. Brady. Uh, Frankie, I think I saw your finger up. Yeah, no, I think uh, just to comment on <clears throat> what's been said as far as, you know, I, I, I understand the concerns, you know, me as a small business owner, I own a small business owner in West Mesa, uh, and I, I understand, but I, I you know, as, as commented before, the, there's no money that a business has to spend uh, in order to uh, basically just do the right thing uh, and treat people fairly. Um, and so for for that reason, uh, you know, I, I would support keep it at one. Uh, we're, you know, based on the the research uh, from other cities, uh, I think only Flagstaff has uh, a higher uh, higher level of, of, uh, of uh, workers, but the rest of the, of the cities here in the Valley have one. And uh, it's to the concerns that they're not coming to fruition um, as far as these tons tons of the complaints, it, it, I think it, it, this this type of uh, ordinance I think sets a, a values uh, a set of values that we want to make sure that uh, we don't have people uh, treated differently than others, uh, and be that that you have one person working for you or 500. It doesn't matter. Uh, discrimination is discrimination. And it shouldn't be the case, uh, like my, my other colleagues mentioned. So 
uh, I would support in keeping it at one. Um, and, and to some of the other comments uh, that were said uh, around ordinances, we, we pass ordinance all the time. I think uh, I trust the city to to uh, uh, inform our, our business community to to uh, to learn about this this issue that we're passing. It, it passed uh, and, and really uh, have a, an environment where. Uh, we all can flu uh, flourish together, so. Okay, thank you. Council Member Spilsbury. Yeah, I just, um, I've done a, a lot of studying and um, asking questions and research and uh, trying to see everything from both sides. And um, I just, I wanted to make the point that I found helpful that um, it's, it's already been mentioned, but this is not a heavy-handed government ordinance trying to find people doing something wrong and catch them and, and um, come down with a hammer on them. Um, this is not what this is. And there are people who feel and have been um, marginalized and intimidated and have not felt um, included. And this means a lot to those people. And if we're already saying that we as a city are welcoming and encouraging and inclusive, um, this is just a statement of those values. I, I don't really think it changes much. When I, when I dig deep into it and I look at what this actually means and what it doesn't mean, um, I don't think it changes what is already happening in our city. And I just think it's important to remember why we're doing it and um, like, like Jen said, um, Vice Mayor Duff said, these are people, we're all, we're all people. These are our brothers and our sisters. These are, we're all, we're all equal and um, they need to be, they need to feel that we treat them that way and that we see them that way. Thank you. Uh, and uh, I, I, I appreciate the, the, the great uh, spirit and sentiment that's been expressed by all, all of our council members and, and the, the obvious, uh, concern that each of us has for uh, for making a statement for our community and for protecting the rights of, of those who live in our community. So I just want to express my uh, my admiration for each of you and, and, and for your uh, your support of, of the, these concepts. It seems like we, we do have a, a little practical problem here, though, in terms of moving this ordinance forward. Uh, uh, my, my, I think it's obvious that there, the consensus is to uh to keep this on the the agenda for for monday uh but uh, we do need to provide staff direction on the issue of the threshold for uh it, for doing em employment uh regulation <clears throat> uh, as i indicated earlier i have been uh had conversations with with business people and and they've been very pointed in, in telling me about their concerns for uh or Mesa becoming a target forum, you know, if we have a low threshold for uh, employment complaints. Uh, and, and so <clears throat> I think I, I would be with Mr. Freeman and Mr. Thompson at keeping it at the, the, the federal 15 employee uh, threshold. Uh, now, again, and, and that, that would be mirroring our, 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 our friend, friends, friendly city flagstaff to the north. Uh, the, the, the truth is that, that as we've all heard, uh, the goal of these ordinances is to not issue citations and that, you know, all of our neighboring cities have been successful at that. Uh, uh, literally, uh, you know, having no citations, but when, when complaints come in, this is really just an opportunity to, to mediate 
and to educate and to, to give an opportunity for, for conflict resolution rather than escalation. So uh, I, I think if we pass this ordinance and we discover that, that we, for some reason, are having a different experience and we are uh, issuing complaints or, or, or that this has become a very active thing, then, then something's gone wrong, that, that there's something wrong with our ordinance and, and we, for some reason, are, are engaging in, in contentious litigation that, that we don't want. Uh, the, the, again, the point of this is to educate and to mediate and to to provide a, an opportunity for people to uh, to be uh, to, to protect each other. Um, so, uh, like I said, we do need to, to provide some some guidance. I, I think, Ms. Spilsbury, you might kind of be the tiebreaker here. What <laughs> I hate to put you un, under pressure, but what are your thoughts? Do you have specific feelings about the, the threshold for employees? I was hoping no one would notice that, Mayor. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I see both sides to this. I really do. I, that's why I'm struggling. Um, I, I definitely think if it's wrong, it's wrong. And if it's wrong for one, it's wrong for five, it's wrong for 15. And I also see the concerns of the small business owners. Um, I probably would be more comfortable with like a five, a five number instead of a 15. But but then I get the argument that if that's what, um, you know, other other states and nationally, if it's 15, that would probably make more sense. And there's really good arguments there too. Do I, do I need to actually have an opinion on this? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, I just wanted to, to, hear, to hear your thoughts. What what if, uh, just for, for sake of, uh, of compromise, uh, I'll throw out the, the idea, just, and, for, for purposes of being told that this is a bad idea, let me throw this out. What if we, what if we went with 10 as, as a threshold? Uh, that, that seems, again, to be a compromise number. It, it, it acknowledges that, uh, that it, what's wrong is wrong, even if it's in a small setting, and 10 is a, less than 10 is, is a pretty small setting. Uh, is, there, is there any uh, consensus around uh, moving forward with, with that number? Mr. Luna, Ms. Duff, what do you think? Absolutely not. I must stand at one employee. If you choose to employ someone, you choose not to discriminate in any way. I, 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 I'm sorry, I can't give on this. This is a human right. It's not okay at any level. I don't care about EEOC, you know, what whenever that was written in what that stood for at the time or whatever uh this is 2021 and it's time among all people i don't care if you're disabled um, a person of color an age veteran status um gay uh, transgender i don't care not discrimination discrimination is not okay is not okay at any level. And I think we have to stand for that. Um, I don't expect it to be all this big uproar. We've seen with other cities that they have very few complaints, but we have to stand for that value. And I think a lot of employment, maybe the EEOC and other cities who have had their non-discrimination ordinances for you know, 15, 20 years, they might be updating that. I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about, what we stand for in Mesa. And as far as small businesses, I don't know what our number is under 10, 
but the majority of America, a majority of our city is small businesses. And I know we can talk about the number of employees, but I, I, I can't give that it's okay to discriminate against one person for any reason. Thank you. I think we all, all can respect that. Mr. Luna. Um, Mayor, we have to remember that behind the num that number is a, is a human being. Uh, we cannot discriminate in the city of Mesa. That's not who we are as a community. And uh, and as you know, I've worked, I've worked on this for many, many years, so I will not budge. No one should be discriminated in the city of Mesa. Thank you. We're <laughs> We're still, yes, Mr. Mr. Freeman, I see your hand going up. Well, on the opposite side, I'm not budging either. So either we come to a compromise or a number, we hear the number one, number 10 or 15. So uh, I'm okay going to a lower number, but anything above one. So I'm sorry with my colleagues, I'm just gonna disagree with them at this point. And I think that government should have a limited role in this. And I know this ordinance, you may say that it, may not affect uh, uh, everybody, but uh, I think it does. And I think we have to listen to our constituents and our concerns. So I'm gonna stand there, thank you. Okay, thank you. Frankie, are you, uh, where, where do you sit on this? Yeah, you know, I, I agree with uh, Vice Mayor Duff and, and uh, Council Member Luna, you know, I, you know, one is is too many. If if people are discriminating um, based on, you know, orientation or whatever uh, the the person identifies with, um, I think that's too many. Uh, and I think for us uh, to to um, I, I just see the 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 research that's been done, the the years of of this work uh, trying to craft uh, an ordinance that. You know, protects uh, folks, uh, but also looks at how uh, learning from from uh, previous ordinances that other cities have made. I think staff has, and our, our city attorneys have done a great job in crafting an ordinance that that we all uh, should be proud of, um, and and really uh, defines what we want to do. I, I agree with Councilwoman Pillsbury uh, that you know I not a lifelong Mesa resident, but me and my family fell in love with the city because of the, the hope and promises that we have of, of, of building uh, on top of progress. And I think this is a, a, a measure that, you know, keeps up, keeps us uh, uh, ensuring that we, we are progressing, moving forward and treating everybody with respect and, uh, and, and adding equality to, to that work. And so, um, that, that's where I would stand. Okay. Uh, Mr. Smith, what are our options here? Do, do we, if we uh, reach a consensus on this number, I mean, the, the, the final vote on this would be March the 1st, but, but we need to, uh, the, the, the ordinance that, that needs to be introduced on Monday, if, if we, if that evolves, you know, as a result of council uh, discussion, uh, either, sometime between now and, and the 1st of March, would it need to be reintroduced and, uh, and start over again uh, if, uh, if we wanna make some sort of modification to, to, to the number of employee threshold issue? 
So, Mayor, after it's introduced, so, you know, we, we can make changes today. We could even make changes, you know, Monday, um, you know, morning. Um, but once we go to the council meeting, we won't be able to sort of type up a change um, on the fly uh, for that meeting. And so um, we, the agenda language is broad enough to include whether it's whether it's one or 15 as far as the exclusion. But we need realistically, we need direction today if we if we get different for what we'll introduce on Monday if it changes Monday we'll continue the introduction and we'll uh, reintroduce or the, the introduction at the next council meeting okay so we, we can uh, as long if, if we reach some consensus uh, at or before the or, or during the meeting on Monday then that's what we'll be in that that's the the the, the ordinance that we'd be we, we can change it between now and in our vote on monday is that fair to say well it, it is but we'd have to i mean um you know we should probably get the direction now in other words this is the open meeting we should get the direction from council now and if 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 it changes on monday we'll just reintroduce so if we can, we can we, do it during the study session on monday yeah we well if it, we'll have to retype it or we'll just hand write the change. Um, Mayor, I think if we just keep it simply to the number of employees, then we could make, obviously we can make that change on the study session on Monday, Monday before the council meeting. I think it's, okay. that's, but that would be the latest at that time. Okay, and, and to Jim's point, obviously the, these decisions need to be making, made in open meeting laws, not an open meeting is not behind closed doors. I'm just saying it might allow the public, you know, an opportunity to, to weigh in on, on council and, and we might just allow it to percolate in our own thoughts and minds. Uh, Ms. Spilsbury. Um, I just want to throw something out there that I'm curious about. Um, Jen, you almost got me crying there. That was really powerful. And I think we all agree with those sentiments that if discrimination's wrong, it's wrong. Um, but if, if that's the only thing we're basing all of this off of, then why are we excluding, excluding, wow, excluding religious organizations and schools and expressive speech? And I mean, we are making a lot of exclusions for things that people feel strongly about. And if, why would business owners, I, my emails full of 200 emails right now of people opposing this. I've heard from a lot of people and um, I don't want this to be the reason why this doesn't pass or why we can't move this forward. And if, if am I in a totally wrong way of thinking here that businesses are any different? Like maybe, maybe that's the exclusion, even though it's not exclusion, but you know, that's maybe that's the compromise we make with businesses so that we have the 15 or more employees because, because I agree with, with everything that, um, that, you know, you have said David and Jen, and and um, but I, but I see the limited government side. This is why I can't make a decision. I'm only in my second month of this. This is this was kind of a hard thing to deal with as I'm starting out new. But um, anyways, am I looking at that wrong? That it's the same kind of thing that we're making exclusions for other things that people feel strongly about, even though discrimination's wrong, right? We can make it more restrictive, Julie, if you wish. <laughs> See, and I think those exclusions should be there. So, yeah, that's not what I'm seeing either, obviously. Well, uh, 
I appreciate the great discussion we've had, and, and uh, I appreciate uh, the, the huge amount of agreement that we've obviously share on, on these issues. So uh, why don't we, we'll, uh, we'll allow the, the ordinance to go forward as it is, but uh, understanding that there are concerns that, that uh, we need to reach some sort of, hopefully at our study session on Monday, we'll have perhaps more unanimity uh, in, on, on, um, on this issue. But I think at this point, yes, I'm, uh, Mr. Freeman, your hand is up. Go ahead. Well, I wish Council Member Spillsbury would weigh in a little bit more on it. But, uh, you know, it's it's a 3-3 tie so far. And I, I just think for staff's perspective, from staff's perspective, yeah, they can change this, but we need some direct, they need some better direction, in my opinion. Um, because I don't think we've really set, I mean, we have one side at one, we have one side at 10 or 15, and um, Ms. Spillsbury, are you going, Are you willing to step up to the plate and hit a home run one white way or the other? I, I, don't, I don't know who the home run would be for, but I'm gonna be a big girl and I'm going to say that I think we do it to 15 employees. Okay, uh, the way I'm counting noses here, and obviously Mr. Thompson's nose is, is absent from the, our Brady Bunch uh, screen here, but uh, he did express in his written comments, uh, it, a, well, it was hard to say, I think he, he doesn't support the ordinance, uh, period, that was obvious, but he did also express a, a preference for 15. So I'm going to say that uh, with Spillsbury, Freeman, and, and Giles, and Thompson uh, expressing that support for 15, uh, I think the consensus is for staff to prepare the ordinance with that number, and obviously that will continue to be talked about um, as we go forward. Uh, and I, I won't force those who uh, who disagree with that to to, to say that they agree, because I. But your point is well taken and and, and respected. Uh, Council, any other uh, other than that? point, uh, any other questions or concerns that we ought to, to talk about uh, related to this issue? Okay, thank you very much. And again, thank you to, to, to Andrea and Jackie and uh, Mr. Smith and, uh, and all those uh, in there. And I, I should point out that, that uh, there's been a lot of community engagement on this as well. The, the Human Relations Advisory Board, our Economic Development Advisory Board, the Mesa Chamber of Commerce, uh, a lot of uh, faith groups, a lot of uh, uh, civil rights groups have all played active roles in, in uh, looking at this and commenting on it. And, and I appreciate the way that the, the community has really uh, participated in, in this conversation. And, and that will continue. So the, the, again, the, the, the schedule for this is it will be introduced on Monday and then voted on uh, at our, the following council meeting on the 1st of March. Uh, Madam Vice Mayor. Yes, um, can I ask um, someone in licensing or and staff, how many businesses would be exempt under this? How many businesses do we have in Mesa that's under 15 boy threshold? Do we have those numbers? I'd like to know. Mayor, Mayor Councilman, or Vice Mayor Duff, we, we don't have a registry of businesses. So it would be, we, I, actually, I was impressed that Mr. Luna actually had done some research on it. That's probably about the same source we would have. We could, I'm just trying to think quickly in my head. Um, I, I don't know that we have a de database like that because we just don't have a business registry. We don't create that kind of a license. Um, we can we can confirm and look at some of the same things that um, 
uh, Councilmember Luna looked at, and maybe we can come up with some numbers um, based on what we've done with our small business programs um, and report back to you on um, Monday. But I, it's not going to be something from a, a specific record that we possess at this time that I'm aware of. Okay, thank you. Mr. Luna. Uh, Mayor, we reached out to Economic Development to try to get a number of our small businesses. So 13,000 uh, businesses here in the city of Mesa with 160,000 employees. And 11 of those, uh, 11,000 of those businesses have 15 employees. Uh, roughly 7,000 have less than four employees. So this is information that we got through MAG, uh, as well as another source that economic development referred us to. Um, again, we don't have business license here in the city of Mesa, so it's hard to determine the exact number, but that's at least some information that we can, we can um, you know, uh, we can work with. Um, Councilmember Luna, you said 11,000 with 15 employees. Is that 15 employees or more? Uh, it's 11,000 with have less than 15 employees. So 11,000 out of our 13,000 businesses have less than 15 employees. That's correct. And then uh, at least 7,000 have four employees. That's the extent of what we're saying. Yes, that's the extent of what we're doing. Yeah, I think we should rethink is, and we can discuss it again on Monday. I, I think citizens with their input as well, but I just wanted you know, for us to realize the magnitude of what small businesses represent in Mesa. This isn't just a few businesses, this isn't a handful. This is the majority. I haven't done the math, but it's probably 90%. Thank you. The only, uh, and we all do need to continue to wrestle with this, but I'll just point out that there's really three prongs to this ordinance. It's, it's housing and public accommodation and employment. And so what we're, certainly housing and public accommodation, there's no threshold, you know, as, as far as that, this applies to everyone, all 510,000 people in the, in the city of Mesa. Uh, what we're talking about is in the employment threshold. When we, when we get into uh, regulating employers and possibly sanctioning employers and, and uh, conducting hearings to, to try to resolve workplace uh, disputes. Uh, to what extent do we want to get into that business? Do we want to, to be uh, the forum for uh, disputes less than 15? Or do we want to maintain you know, th that threshold that's consistent with, with the federal government saying that uh, as a break to small businesses, you know, we're, we're not going to, we're just, we're going to not engage in that in, in addressing employment complaints for businesses smaller than that. And, and as you point out, that's a significant number of businesses. That might mean that there's, if given the number of small businesses in Mesa, again, um, my fear is that we become the go-to place to resolve employment conflicts. Uh, because if you have less than 15, you can't go to the uh, to the feds. So we become, you know, the hotbed of uh, resolving employment conflicts. So um, we're, we'll continue to wrestle with this, uh, and um, I'm sure we'll, this can, this conversation will continue at our meeting on Monday. But uh, it's it's good to know where we have a consensus and and where we need to continue to to look for it. 
Council, any other questions before we move on? Yes, Vice Mayor Duff. I ask one, one more of Ms. Um, Alicote. Of the other cities that have these ordinances in place, how many are at, you know, the one or more? And the number of employment complaints over what duration? I, I just want to, I know you made a lot of uh, comments as far as the statistics on that, but if you could just review it in the context of looking at it at 15 or more as far as what other cities are experiencing. Is this a real issue or not? And um, look at it again, thank you. Thank you, Mayor and Council Vice Mayor Duff for that question. Um, so just to, to remind everyone of the other Arizona cities that includes Phoenix, Tucson, Flagstaff, uh, Tempe, Sedona, and Winslow. Flagstaff is the only other city, um, and they were one of the first to move forward with the non-discrimination ordinance that encompasses all the different aspects that the mayor had touched on, um, goods and services, employment, and um, uh, housing, excuse me. They have their employment threshold at 15. The remaining five um, cities within our state have it at one or more and for the most part had um, enacted that after Flagstaff in its full encompassing manner. Um, so for the reason that, again, with consultation, very close consultation with those other Arizona partners, um, we had implemented the one or more for Mesa as well to be comparable with the majority of our state as well as that the complaints that they did receive or the inquiries that they did receive were not directly related to employment concerns. So that yielded of the very low uh, complaints that were received, um, they were not directly related to employment um, concerns or had used the mediative process for that. Um, again, when we do address that there had been some referrals made, it would have been uh, a referral to the EEOC for a complaint with an employment over 15 or more. So that is where other uh, agencies had reported that they have used existing federal processes to do some referrals for some of the complaints that were received as well. Um, but the, the overall complaint or inquiry uh, from other municipalities was reported to be low and of that employment was an even lower concern. And the duration the other cities have had these ordinances in place for what 10, 15 years? What what is the duration we're looking at as far as the number of complaints? Thank you, Vice Mayor. Um, there is varying dates. However, we can you know safely average that within the past seven years or so. Um, between you know more than five years, less than a decade of all of these having very um, robust ex processes in place and staff dedicated to being able to track and measure those results. Thank you, uh, Mr. Redia. Um, just uh, we're on this topic, but Andrea, through your research, uh, why why did the other cities set up to one? Uh, as far as your information, when you have a conversation with them. Thank you, uh, Councilmember Heredia, for that question. Um, you know, unfortunately, that question again is is then 
based to those um, mayor and council members that had voted upon that decision. So, um, you know, we can only allude to similar conversations that our council is having now in terms of the threshold of employment was based off of um, the, the projection of what the city wanted to be able to um, incorporate within their non-discrimination ordinance. So um, from a staffing perspective, the conversations are very similar in a lot of different communities, not just within Arizona, but nationwide as well. You will definitely see varying um, amounts as council members feels very yet noted and um, in California, the threshold is at five. We have seen six for Omaha and um, some other Midwestern cities. Um, so there is varying um, decisions as to why that threshold gets determined. Thank you, council. Any other questions on this topic before we move on? Okay, thank you very much. And, and thanks again to staff for, uh, for all the work that's gone into this. Uh, the next item on our agenda, item 2B, is to hear a presentation, discuss and provide direction on the city's efforts to create and maintain an environmentally sustainable community. I'm guessing Mr. Boucher was walking up to the, to the microphone as we speak. Yes, good morning, Mayor. Good morning, Mayor, Council. My name is Scott Boucher. I'm the Environmental and Sustainability Director here at the City of Mesa, and I'm here today to give you an update on our sustainability programs. Um, first, just to start off, um, I was lucky enough back in 2009 to be the first employee at the City of Mesa who had sustainability in their title. Uh, we created the Environmental and Sustainability Division that at the time was in the Development and Sustainability Department. Um, with the idea of bring, bringing energy conservation and water conservation folks over into the environmental group so that they were kind of decoupled from the sales of those utilities. Uh, one of the first things that we did in environmental and sustainability with the uh, request of a couple of council members was to get a Tree City USA designation for the city of Mesa. And what that designation does is it just shows that the city of Mesa places an importance on trees uh, and the fact that trees clean the air, shade, they cool cities, they make a more walkable community and that they support wildlife. Um, and so you'll see the sign that we have there that shows our Tree City USA um, designation. And then next to it, you'll also see our household hazardous materials facility. So that was opened in 2018. Uh, you'll also notice the solar panels that are on that, that facility. And it's part of our solar portfolio that the city of Mesa has. So back in 2009, we really didn't have a lot of solar within the city of Mesa. We had some remote locations that needed electricity that would have solar panels because it was too expensive to run power to these sites. Uh, but over the last 12 years, we've actually been able to increase our solar portfolio so that we now have approximately 6.5 megawatts of power that we have either city owned or contracted through uh, solar service agreements or contracted with um, one of our larger utility providers, Salt River Project. And that, that accounts for about 12% of our retail power. So just to show you kind of the beginning of the, the uh, sustainability programs and then another update. 
This, this photo here will show, you'll see there's a, a photo down in the bottom here that shows SRP Champions of Energy Efficiency. And the City of Mesa has won that award two out of the last three years from SRP. And I think it shows our commitment to energy efficiency and the work that we've been doing across the city. Uh, and then you'll see the lighting a sustainable community. Really back in 2009 also, there was the stimulus package that was passed and we received $4.2 million in funding to implement sustainable practices within the city. Now, there were a lot of cities that took those funds because there was some federal red tape associated to them and, and wanted to just spend those funds as quickly as possible, find a $4.2 million project and complete it and um, just leave it at that. But in our conversations with the city manager's office, the city of Mesa took a different approach in that we wanted to spread that money across several departments, as many departments as we could, so that we could really use that as seed money for implementing these sustainable practices across the city of Mesa. Uh, just to give you an idea, we did do energy efficiency projects, lighting and roofing projects with that. Our first LED streetlight replacements were done with um, those stimulus funds. We also created the, the central main plan, which when you see the project manager on creation of that plan was Jeff McVeigh, and you obviously know uh, the work that he's been doing using that plan and the development that's been coming to downtown Mesa and transit-oriented development. We also uh, did our first solar project where we owned solar. We installed that out at Red Mountain Softball Field. You'll see some solar that's out there. And um, another part was we did what's called investment grade audits with Siemens. And these investment grade audits really laid the groundwork and kind of a roadmap for our energy efficiency and sustainability programs going forward. One of the things that was pointed out in, in that report was um, the potential at the Northwest plant for taking uh, fats, oils, and grease or food waste and converting those into energy. And I know that's a project that we've been here and we've talked to previously about. And that really started back in 2009 with these funds that we used. So as we get into one of the things, we've really had a project-based sustainability program here at the city of Mesa. And what I mean by that is we have done things that save money or are budget neutral and they're good for the environment. And as we have done that, we haven't focused as much on aspirational goals or looking at the effects that it has um, with carbon emissions. But um, Mayor, you have brought up the, that um, you know, you've had constituents that have, have told you this is important. And so what we've done here is we've put together a preliminary inventory of city operations and the greenhouse gas inventory that, that we admit on an annual basis. And so as you look, I'll just point out a couple of things here. Two of the top five that you will see are mobile combustion and employee commute. So those are related directly to driving vehicles, either employees driving to and from work or it's employees that are driving at work. And then if you look, two of the top seven are related to water delivery facilities and wastewater treatment facilities. So one of the things I'd like to point out with that is that there is a water energy nexus. And what I mean by that is it takes a lot of energy for our folks and water resources to um, pump that water, treat the water, send it out, distribute it to our residents, then collect the wastewater, treat that wastewater, and then distribute it out as effluent for groundwater recharge projects that we have. So as we talk about water conservation, I, I, I would like council to also understand that every gallon of water that we save is also saving energy because that's energy that didn't have to be put into that water to clean it up to those 
uh, Safe Drinking Act standards or to collect then wastewater and treat it. Um, and then you'll also see within here you've got your buildings, of course, and the, the large portfolio of buildings that the city of Mesa has and our street lighting uh, are up there in the top of what our categories as far as emissions. We also looked at other cities and what they do um, as far as climate action plans, aspirational goals, uh, whether or not those plans are just city operations related, whether they're community wide and the metrics that they have. We looked at some of our neighbors, Phoenix and Tempe, and then also Salt Lake City in Houston. Uh, I would recommend if you haven't read a climate action plan, I was reading again yesterday, Houston's plan, and it is very well done. And um, you know, most of the time when you talk about sustainability, I will be honest, Houston doesn't pop to the top of my, my list of places that I think about. Um, but it was interesting with Houston because what they discussed is that they have had three separate 500 year flood events in three consecutive years. And what they were saying, and then if you look at today, what's happening in Texas with the cold that is, is hitting the region, um, really what they had, and this is a quote from their plan, is that sustainability and resilience go hand in hand. So Houston was pretty straightforward that they feel that they're seeing the effects of climate change and it's having a negative effect on their city. And they feel that it's their responsibility to do something about that. So just quick description, the climate action plans will typically have a carbon inventory associated with it. They'll have aspirational goals that are set to those, to those plans. Typically what you'll see is, is like zero emissions by a 2050 date uh, to kind of line up with the Paris Agreement. They'll have metrics that track the progress that they're making on those. And again, you'll see whether or not there's, there's typically a focus both on city operations because we have more control on our city operations, but then also looking out wider at a community-wide plan. Uh, and just an example, if you think about the number of vehicle miles traveled by Mesa residents as opposed to just city of Mesa employees, um, you know, there's a large contribution that comes from our residents. So I'll go into six different areas here quickly that are what are typically found within a climate action plan or a sustainability plan. The first one is energy. And we talked a bit about our energy efficiency programs. You'll see Fiesta PD in another portion of our um, solar portfolio that we have with covered parking at Fiesta PD. We have uh, both of these buildings that you see were built to lead standards. And then you see the SRP Saint Solar, that was a, a large project that we partnered with uh, SRP on that was able to dramatically increase our solar portfolio. But in addition to that, I'd like to say, um, you know, within sustainability, there's people, planet, and profit. And the people, we typically deal with the planet and profit side, but from a people standpoint, there's a lot of folks within the city of Mesa who put in a lot of work and great work on, on doing these things. So when you look at energy efficiency, it's our facilities maintenance and our engineering and our IT departments that have been working on creating smarter buildings and making sure that we're using that energy that we do use wisely. Um, and when you look at like land use and built environment, that would be our planning department and the energy codes that, that we have within building safety or our general plan. Um, those are all parts that when you look at a, a climate action plan, there'll be other plans that feed up into that plan. And so the city of Mesa does have those, those types of bones in place that would go along with the climate action plan. Urban heat has been um, a big topic within the Valley. 
Um, we, you know, we had, I think, over 144 days over 100 degrees and 60-odd days over 115 degrees this year. It was a very, or last year, it was a very hot summer. Um, so the importance of trees, we talked about it in the beginning of this presentation, but uh, parks and open space and preserves that we have, uh, the care of trees and the ability of those trees to create shade, uh, make it a more walkable uh, community or bikeable community. And then also to just, you know, our parks department does a fantastic job of making sure, and this is a quote from one of the parks members, that we don't need turf border to border at our parks. Parks has done a very good job of creating these places of active play or being able to have educational facilities that aren't necessarily just turf in uh, embracing the desert environment that we have here. As you look with air quality then in active transportation, that's another place in which the, the trees can help out by creating that shade when you're having that active transportation. And in the area of air quality, it's not just carbon emissions. The valley also does have issues associated with particulate matter and ozone pollution in our air quality. And I'll say going, going back um, you know, into the 1990s, we were the first city that had a dust control ordinance that was adopted by the city. And so you know, we have been a leader in this area for a long time and um, do a lot of good work in the area of air quality, I believe. And then with our fleet, I will also, uh, our fleet department really has been looking hard at what might be possible with electric vehicles and uh, has had conversations with, with my group and I know the city manager's office and with the other departments of really trying to understand where the technology is with electric vehicles and trying to prepare the city for the time when um, the technology catches up that it's something that we'd be able to implement on a larger scale. Uh, water stewardship is an example that we have been doing. Uh, the city of Mesa has been doing great work for, for decades. Uh, our water portfolio, when our water resources department presents to you, is very strong. Um, they've done a great job of planning. Again, when you look at plans that are in place that go up to a climate action plan, our 100-year water supply plans would be one of those ones that would go with that. That's obviously a portion of sustainability. Um, in addition to that, our Water Use It Wisely, the public education campaign that we have, it was started here in Mesa and is now uh, a national campaign that you will find um, Water Use It Wisely throughout the country and has really done a great job in educating uh, folks on how they can save water at home. In addition to that, we've used some grant funding and worked with the Parks Department. You'll see down in the corner of monitoring water use in parks. So establishing baselines, establishing water budgets for the parks, and then tracking those and making sure that we're staying within those budgets. And if we start to, to go outside of those budgets, uh, we're able to, to identify that quickly and make repairs if it's leaks or whatever it may be uh, to make sure that we're not wasting that water. And then um, one of the things in, when I have recycling materials management today wasn't, it's not a discussion more about the blue barrel, but this is more about the operations within the city of Mesa. Uh, one of the things I wanna point out is, you know, this, we must think beyond our traditional purchase, use and disposal uh, model that we have. Um, we've talked about it before that we're not gonna be able to recycle our way out of our waste problem. We're also going to have to reduce the amount of waste that we create. Um, 
one of the programs as we were talking to other departments and getting updates on their sustainability programs was the, the library and they were talking about, they had the first reuse model in the city with one book in many hands. And if you think about it from that standpoint that, that you're able to have a book, you check it out, you read it, you give it back to the library for somebody else to check out and then to read it. And really that's a, it's a great model on how we should really look at life as far as being able to reuse things more often. And then I would say the Red Mountain Library is a perfect example if, if council's interested in walking through and seeing a lot of different projects that we've done in one place. The Red Mountain Library is uh, the first solar installation, I believe, that SRP partnered with the city of Mesa to see if solar covered parking would actually work. And that was done 20, almost 30 years ago now is the original uh, solar installation. And then you'll see the large solar panels that we installed uh, about eight years ago, there's a lot of work that's been done with the building and uh, facilities automation and changes in mechanical equipment. And in addition to that, we have one of our uh, Monarch Butterfly Way stations that's there that teaches about biodiversity and the importance of biodiversity at, at the city, uh, all while using low water use plants. So uh, the Red Mountain Library is a perfect example of uh, one place within the city that we really have concentrated a lot of our sustainability efforts. So in the last portion that is hit on with many of the plans that we have looked at is food and local sustainable food systems. So I talked about the water energy nexus, but even a larger energy nexus is the food energy nexus. If you think about the amount of energy that is put into planting, growing, harvesting, and then transporting food to us on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, it is, it's a huge amount of energy and a lot of carbon emissions that are associated with food. Uh, and then a lot of times, some of that, that food in the United States will go to waste. It's one of the largest components of our solid waste stream. So that food to go through that process and that much energy to be uh, put into it for it not to then be used uh, is really something that would need to be a focus going forward with uh, trying to reduce carbon emissions. And so I wanted to make sure we do have, you know, if you look through COVID in our parks department, they did a fantastic job of making sure that people were getting food during that time. There were people who were needing it and we were distributing it and getting it to folks. The United Food Bank is one of our partners. We've worked with them for many years and they do a fantastic job over there of making sure that as much food as they can doesn't go to waste and um, getting it to people because there's a report I would recommend, it's called the Refed Report that came out on how to improve our food systems and it talks about the highest and best use for an apple is to eat the apple. And uh, it seems pretty straightforward, but there's too many times I think within uh, our community that, that that apple doesn't get eaten. And so uh, really that's the focus of those local sustainable food systems. Sorry about that. So today we can talk about next steps. I do think as, as we present here, even though the city of Mesa has not adopted a formal climate action plan, we have had a project-based program that has been moving us forward. And um, really we've been making good decisions along the way. And I'm proud of the programs and the work that has been done by the, the staff here at the city of Mesa. I will also say that I think we're uniquely positioned in that the city of Mesa owns so many of the utilities between the, the water, wastewater, energy, gas, uh, and the solid waste utilities, um, we are typically our best customer. 
our largest customer and our best customer for our utilities. Most cities do not have all of those utilities under one umbrella. And so the opportunity to work uh, amongst ourselves in our utilities and um, reduce our emissions associated with that, saving energy uh, from, that is coming from ourselves in essence, uh, I think there's some great opportunities that are there. So with that, I will open it up to any questions you may have. Thank you, I'm sure we've got several. Uh, Council, who'd like to begin? Uh, Mr. Freeman, go ahead. Thank you, Mayor. Hey, Scott, this is that's uh, really great news. In fact, I had a, uh, a young lady reach out to me from ASU probably about three weeks ago about what we're doing for climate control in the city of Mesa. And I told her we do have a great plan. Uh, you know, we just don't have uh, it probably written down as firm as we should have. But I just wanted to make some remarks. I think you're you're 100 percent correct that we are in a unique situation as a provider of a full contrast of utilities. And I like the, did you say 6.5 megawatts of renewable energy we get from other suppliers outside sources? Yeah, well, that 6.5 is a combination of city-owned solar and then contracted through either solar, solar service agreements and uh, the sustainable energy offer that Salt River Project we did with yeah. them. And I know SRP's put in another 500 megawatt solar uh, farm uh, supposed to be coming up. Uh, I don't know, next year, but 12% of our, you said 12% of our electricity is renewable. Is there, are there plans to increase that at every opportunity? We, yes, so we do. I, I believe you'll, we'll, you'll see solar going up on the ASU development that we have um, downtown. And um, I, I also would like to mention that the city of Mesa Electric Utility is getting close to a megawatt of customer-owned solar within their utility also. And so there are plans uh, in place of more solar that's being added and we continue to look at any opportunity that we can to increase our renewable portfolio. Yeah, and I think when developers, whether they're working in our city of Mesa electric grid, you know, if they could put in renewable energy, probably solar would be the key one that we should advocate for that uh, just to help our portfolio and self-sustainability. We have a lot of sunshine in Arizona, and I think we should take advantage of it. Uh, you brought up water. Are we, uh, this is on the GRUSP and recharge, other than the GRUSP, are we recharging any other areas in our city, in, in our aquifers with the effluent or other? Um, I, I, that might be Jake West question. Yeah, Jake is behind me. Jake is coming. Because you, you've talked to encompassed a whole lot of different uh, departments there. Yeah, good morning, uh, Mayor, Vice, or Councilmember Freeman. Yeah, we do. We have the Northwest plant that does a lot of um, uh, cleaning up the wastewater, which then we send into GRUSP as well as other areas. And we've got these projects coming with our, our uh, project soon with the Gila River Indian community where we're going to be building a pipeline to reuse pipeline to get a lot of that effluent to where it needs to be to make it sustainable with regards to the expansion of our uh, <clears throat> signal butte treatment plant and um, 
just the, to make us be able to um, fulfill the agreement that we have with the Gila River. So, and uh, Jake, correct me if I'm wrong. So one of the challenges with the cross is sometimes we just can't recharge there. Correct. And I think we talked about that, um, Councilmember Freeman, right? I mean, yes, that is an, um, <coughs> it's on, on paper, yes, we could do it, but unfortunately there's a lot That's of geographic, or not geographic, geological reasons or the water tables are too high. And so a lot of times we lose that opportunity, as you know, to recharge there. And unfortunately then it has to go downstream and that's why, um, as we presented to council, what's it been, a month or so ago, how important that uh, pipeline is to get down to the Gila's because, in a sense, that is a, a reuse of, of valuable water um, that we can get a significant value back for. So that's kind of, a, for us, that's a very significant reuse project. And that's the genesis of the, of the pipeline project because for the last year and a half, GRUSP has been out of service because you've got mounding um, water, uh, it's getting too heavy, so we, we can't fill it anymore. So while that water goes out to the Salt River and we do not get any credit for it. So it's a stranded capacity and that's the genesis of the reuse pipeline. Yeah, and, and that, that's great. I, I think we should pursue those avenues. As I read the reports on the Colorado River, the upper basin and the constraints there with uh, snowpacks that the reduced water uh, watershed uh, allocations to the upper basin, the lower basin, which we were a participant of, uh, we have to be careful on our water and usage. So using it wisely is, is extremely important. So, you know, I advocate whenever we can become self-reliant whether it's drilling new well sites or purchasing. And I'm bringing this up because, Scott, I know this may not be in, in your uh, discussion, but if you want me to stop, Mr. Brady, I will. But uh, I, just, I just think well sites are an extremely important component of our self-reliance as a community in a city. And that's when the restrictions on the CAP happen or from uh, the Colorado River, we need to be prepared. But you talked about the air quality I, great, you know, anything we can do to increase our air quality, and I think that's where our open spaces are, our parks, uh, tree uh, renewal whenever we can. Uh, I, I like that. I wish we could have more farm fields and orchards here in Mesa, but that's uh, a gone now, a goner. But uh, when, we, when we build buildings today, if the city were to build a new building or renovate a building, which we're doing, do we look at creating a lead type building or uh, an energy saving type building? Uh, let me just ask that question. So I know lead is uh, probably something that's built from the ground up with lead materials, but are we renovating our buildings so that they're smart buildings? I think you use that word, Scott. Yes, um, Mayor, Council Member Freeman. Yes, we are, we are building smart buildings. We. Um, we have increased now, we're at the 2018 energy code is what is adopted and that's a standard within the city of Mesa. We do build some facilities to the LEED standard. The LEED is a, LEED is a rating system to ensure and be able to have third party verification that you've built to that LEED standard. An example I can give, the household hazardous materials facility, we did not get LEED certification on, but we did build 
to uh, a lead standard. So we made sure that we incorporated those lead concepts into the building, but we did not actually get the certification for it. So yes, we are building smart buildings. Uh, our engineering folks do a, do a great job, and a lot of that also gets driven by um, the client departments and what their needs are. Great, thank you, Scott. That's all the questions I have, Mayor. Thank you, Mr. Freeman. Um, I have a couple of questions. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. I know that there are others that have questions as well, but but uh, I, I was uh, encouraging um, staff to, to, to give us this presentation because I, I, I would like to see us adopt a formal climate action plan. Uh, I, I have been approached by different organizations over the last few years asking what the city of Mesa's you know, 2030 plan is and 2050 plan. and. And, and are we, to what extent are we making progress, you know, in, in response to uh, carbon emissions? And, and so I've been asking these questions and uh, it, it seems like a lot, of, um, a lot of big organizations in the world and a lot of uh, cities that we all admire are adopting uh, goals, you know, to, to get to, uh, to 2050 carbon neutrality and realizing they have to have a, a, an interim goal, you know, to be on the path to, to get to that ultimate goal. And, and many cities and organizations are adopting very, uh, very high uh, aspirational plans. And the, the rationale they have for how they're gonna get there is, well, we really don't know. Uh, you know we're, we're gonna hope that, that some new technology occurs that will you know, provide the magic answers for how we're gonna get to, to where we wanna be. And, and to me, that doesn't seem like a real goal at all. So I, I'm anxious for us to, to to go through this, this, the process that Scott has described here and, and, and to, to get started on this and to talk about what are some actual very uh, tangible things that we can do uh, to, to get on, on, on the path to, uh, to carbon neutrality and, and being a, a responsible organization. Um, so Scott, when, when you and I have had this, this, this discussion in the past, you've told me that for, for us really to to adopt those types of goals, the, the first thing that needs to happen is we need to have a, some sort of a baseline from which to, to measure ourselves. Uh, and that that is, is you know, uh, something that requires a great deal of effort, maybe even some outside assistance. Uh, have, have you been able to figure out a way for us to, to quantify, you know, where we're at as perhaps as an organization, the city of Mesa, and then maybe even broader than that as, as a community? Yes, Mayor, um, it's a great question. So we did present the preliminary um, carbon emissions inventory in, in this presentation, and that was done in-house by staff. Um, I have a staff member, Mr. Scott Unger, or Dr. Scott Unger, actually. He has worked in this area. He previously worked um, with EPA and has studied climate science, so um, we're lucky that we do have a staff member who has an expertise in this. In addition to that, Maricopa County has done a, a community-wide inventory that we can use also as a baseline. But as we look at that preliminary data, what we would have to do is there's certain standards in a carbon emissions inventory. So if we put together a climate action plan, as we're putting that plan together, we'd have to have some conversations about what standards do we want to follow and really making sure that as we set that baseline, we're putting those metrics in place and we're all in agreement of how we're going to be measuring those metrics uh, going forward. Because understandably, if you keep changing your methodology for your calculations, it's gonna be difficult to compare back to previous years. And so, 
Um, you know, if we do want to do, if it's the, the council's desire to move forward with a climate action plan, that would be something that would take some time and we would need to make sure that if it's going to be a meaningful document, we take the time and invest that time into it to make sure that it is a meaningful document. But I wanna make sure that you understand that we'll still continue to move forward with our project-based program while we are putting together that climate action plan. Um, and then what it would be is marrying those two together as we move forward. And I think the advantages with the climate action plan is that um, it, once we begin to measure it, we, we have, there's a saying in solid waste, if you don't measure it, you can't manage it. Um, and so from that standpoint, we would be begin measuring what our total emissions are and trying to manage what those are and coming back to council on a regular basis and giving you updates on progress that we've made. Thank you, Scott, I, I appreciate that. I, I, and yes, I, I think we absolutely do wanna proceed forward with, with the, the projects, the, the I think uh, inspiring projects that we're currently involved in. Uh, but I, I would encourage us as, as a council and as a, as a community to, to do uh, what you just described as what's necessary to adopt the formal climate action plan. Uh, I'm gonna make the suggestion that we have a sustainability committee uh, on our on our council, uh, and I'm, I would suggest that uh, that we uh, activate that committee maybe more than it has been in the past to engage on on this topic and to, to work with staff to, to vet uh, you know some of the the issues related to what it would take to adopt a formal climate action plan. Uh, Scott would, and I know we, we've talked in the past a lot about the, some of the hard decisions that we need to make to to have a sustainable recycling program in the city of Mesa that likely will require some significant capital uh, investment either uh, on our own or in partnership with, with Phoenix to the to the west or other communities to the east. Uh, is that part of this plan or is that just a, a related but separate plan? Um, it, it, again, the, the so a solid waste plan would roll up within the climate action plan. You'll see those those areas you're typically gonna have in your climate action plan, you're gonna have focus areas on, on energy and transportation, uh, and then uh, solid waste or materials recycling, materials management, that's gonna be a portion of the plan. So our solid waste plans going forward would again be part of the structure that would build on the climate action plan. So Mayor, I think I would see it as every department with their account responsibility will have a component piece that'll roll up into this plan, right? So, cause you're gonna have, just like as Jake was saying, you know, the question will be to Jake about water reuse and what are our plans for that and, and having sustainable, reliable water as Mr. Freeman brings up. And so that would be one component piece. And there would be even from fleet services. And as you know, transportation is out replacing um, street lights and replacing mm -hmm. them with the more um, lower um, energy. Um, um, LED. LED lighting, and so we can see that what we need, I think, is, and as you're saying it, Mayor, we need the narrative with the larger kind of broader perspective about um, a plan that we can look at as a total organization and total goals, and then we'll break that down into these different um, levels that'll touch different departments and different activities so that they're all working specifically on um, projects um, and initiatives that roll up into this larger climate change plan. But that's where I think it would be helpful, as you mentioned, Mayor, to go to the committee and, and kind of 
talk about the broader citywide objective, and then we can talk about how all these other pieces roll up and fit into it. Great, thank you. Uh, Vice Mayor Duff. Yes, thank you. I'm so excited by this plan. So thank you for your work on this, Scott. We have a lot of work to do, and um, it's something I think so many of us are passionate about, and especially among our children. They know this is the pathway to their future, and um, it is our responsibility as a government and as leaders in our community to get on this plan as soon as possible. So making a cl climate action plan, um, of course, is very important, establishing our baseline goals, as the mayor had mentioned, um, in all the sectors that you mentioned in my departments. And then I think uh, we should establish what our goals are. Is it to use all renewable energy by 2030, 2035, to be carbon neutral by 2050, and then do annual reviews to see where we are and how much progress we're making and what steps that we can take. There's um, so many things in place that we can take advantage of as long as we just focus uh, on that. For instance, the EV adoption that I like of electric vehicles. We, have our, we own our own electric company. We can charge the majority of our vehicles right in our own electric company. And um, do I, I saw uh, street sweepers even are electric now. So as switching all our fleets and, and to the um, electric. I think it's great to reduce our emissions since cars, uh, vehicles are the number one um, uh, emission point. Um, also, we can, I'd like to look at our planning department as far as um, the standards that we have, as Council Member Freeman mentioned in, in the energy sources and the tree coverage and the shade, if we can achieve a 30% shade we can reduce temperatures by 5%. That is huge. And um, looking that even as residences, but anyway, as a city, uh, we can establish some goals in our planning department, more infill incentives for infill development, a lot of things we can do on that. Um, on uh, water, water is a huge uh, issue as we face more severe drought and heat. Is there anything that we're looking at in regards to gray water and how we can reuse some of our water in um, within buildings? Can we start establishing that in our building standards? And um, I don't know, it's, it's just ex expansive. It touches everything that we do. And um, I'm looking forward to working on this and making it a, a priority for us this year to get things well underway and establish our goals. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor Duff. Uh, Council Member Spilsbury. Yeah, um, I just really appreciated this presentation. So I wanted to say thank you to Scott and to your department and all of the departments represented in this. Um, it's As a newcomer, it's really incredible to see how much the city has done um, over lots of years. but there's so many different areas this impacts. And so it's really incredible to see the presentation and to see all the different ways that, um, that we're working on this goal. Um, as I'm married to an arborist, so I especially love the trees. I think we could always use more trees. 
Um, and I, I would support doing a climate action plan. I'm on that sustainability committee. Haven't had a meeting yet, so we'd love to get started and see where we could help with that. I think this is great moving forward. Thank you. Council, any other uh, comments or questions on this? Uh, Mr. Heredia. Thanks, Mayor. Uh, just uh, as far as process-wise, I know we have the, the subcommittee on council. Is there is there a committee amongst uh, departments or staff, or is that something that we would? I am based on the comments that Mr. Brady mentioned. You know, this will touch different departments, and and so ensuring that we have uh, the information flowing to those departments and, and communicating with each other. Uh, I'm assuming uh, a process uh, internally has to be developed as well. Just curious. I, Scott's hesitating, but that's why he's here. Um, so that's why we set up the office. And so the, I think departments, um, Scott really and his staff are have um, become not only the advocates for sustainability, but they really are serve in many ways as our in-house consultants for departments. And as you saw, the work that they had to do um, and the slide that's, that says uh, greenhouse gas inventory, I mean, that took a lot of work on Scott's staff and himself working with the departments just to begin to identify those, those greenhouse inventories. So um, they're very much involved. They're the, they kind of, they quarterback, or they, they coordinate all this. So when there's a solar project going on at a library or a park, uh, they're very much involved in that. If it's um, any of these other initiatives that you saw, most likely Scott and his staff are working, supporting, uh, bringing ideas to the department. So that's, if you want to talk about the coordination, that's really where it begins with um, the sustainability um, staffing that we have. Perfect. And then just to chime in, I, I also support this. Thank you for staff for uh, working on this presentation. And I, I do believe we, we need some tangible uh, pieces that we can really uh, keep on working on uh, to ensure that we have a successful future uh, on this issue. Thank you. Um, other comments? I'm going to uh, throw out that. I, I, I sense a consensus uh, based on the comments that I've heard that we would like to uh, ask staff to proceed with uh, coming up with plans for a formal climate action plan, including goals uh, on uh, sustainability and and uh, recycling. And uh, I'm gonna suggest again that that the staff come back sooner than later and maybe that would initially be vetted at the council sustainability uh, committee, uh, but that we do uh, proceed with uh, encouraging, a, announcing a policy that we do wanna adopt a, a formal climate action plan. Council, does, does, that, uh, does that reflect the consensus of our group, you think? Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Boucher. We uh, look forward to working even more closely with you on this going forward. Appreciate the good work that's been done to this point. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Council. Uh, the next item on our agenda, Council, is to acknowledge receipts of minutes, minutes of uh, the Museum and Cultural Advisory Board. Uh, is there a motion to that effect? Thank you, Vice Mayor Duff, seconded by Mr. Freeman. Uh, we'll do a roll call vote. Um, Mr. Freeman, how do you vote? 
Aye. Thank you. Council Member Spilsbury. Aye. Thank you. Um, Mr. Heredia. Aye. Thank you, Mr. Luna. Aye. Thank you, Mr. Thompson is, uh, is absent and excused. Vice Mayor Duff, how do you vote? Aye. Thank you, I vote aye as well. So that passes uh, 6-0. Uh, the next item on our agenda is current event summary, including meetings and conferences attended. Uh, Council, anything you'd like to share with us? Uh, Vice Mayor Duff. Yes, a Saturday morning um, at 6.30 a.m. in downtown, I met with um, uh, downtown Mesa Association Director Nancy Horman and um, along with Leo from Urban Smoke, we met with uh, NBC local news to promote the alfresco um, off main and which is our outdoor uh, patio and dining area in the center of downtown and uh, that afternoon I went there and sat in the uh, patio area and ordered from Gus's world famous fried chicken I finally tried it and listened to some live music uh, so it's um, open the patio area is open every day and um, it's a great place to rest, to meet friends, to eat, uh, just to hang out. There's live music at lunchtime and the evenings, Thursday through Saturday. Uh, on Tuesday, I was at Gateway Airport to watch the, the Bridge, um, Bridger Aerospace Super Scooper Airdrop. And it's a Canadian flight, um, a firefighting training, a demonstration flight. And so they went and flew over to Roosevelt Lake, scooped up, a thousand gallons of water or whatever it was. They flew back to the Gateway Airport and they did a, a flyby and then dumped the water to do the training and demonstrate what they do in, in, in here in Mesa to prepare for their fire season in, in Canada. And so this is a, a great economic boost for them to be here using the facilities, buying fuel, staying at the hotels, all at Gateway Airport. Gateway is um, doing a tremendous uh, business out there in a number of different ways beyond the commercial flight. Um, so I'm very proud of the work that's going on there. Um, also right after, um, Council Member Freeman and I visited the Grove on Main Residences at Mesa Drive in Maine, the LDS Temple Development. They are about 20% lease. They have beautiful, um, Row homes, townhomes, apartments. They're absolutely beautiful, well-designed, great amenities and common areas. Um, I posted some um, pictures on Facebook. Uh, the temple will be done sometime this spring. The open house is pending as to when and how due to COVID. We're very excited about this uh, tremendous development in, in downtown Mesa and it's beautiful and um, check it out sometime. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Uh, Council, uh, who else would like to share something? Um, I, I, I do have uh, a bit of sad news. I mean, I, I think we, we're a big organization and we can't uh, acknowledge every time someone who's, who's played a role in, in the city of Mesa as an employee or as a leader uh, passes. But I did notice, and I, I appreciate uh, Council Member Freeman bringing this to my attention, uh, a, a, a kind of a stellar figure in our, in our history of uh, Warren Steffi, who was a, a council member uh, for many years back in the 70s and early 80s, uh, and unfortunately passed away this week at the age of 92. Uh, I just wanted to acknowledge the, the contribution that he made to our community and, and uh, our condolences to his family at his passing this week. 
Um, Council, any anything else you'd like to share under this uh, agenda item? Okay, seeing none, the next item on our agenda is uh, schedule of meetings. Mr. Brady, what does that look like? Yes, Mayor, just a reminder, of course, that we have the study session and council meeting this coming Monday, so we'll see you then. Great, thank you. Is there a motion to adjourn this meeting by Mr. Freeman? Thank you, seconded by uh, Ms. Ms. Spilsbury. Uh, please unmute your microphones. All in favor of adjournment, please indicate by saying aye. 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 Thank you, any opposed? We are adjourned.